Uh, good morning. This is Brad Lacey, pastor of First Baptist Church at Conshohocken, president of the Philadelphia Bible Society, and for this hour, host of The Great Message on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. We are joined for the preponderance of our hour together by Brother Paige Tyler, our 12-step uh, minister uh, extraordinaire. Brother Paige will join us on the other end of something Solomon had to say from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, the 25th verse. As the whirlwind passes, so the wicked are no more, but the righteous are an everlasting foundation. Let me please, allow me please to reiterate this text. As the whirlwind passes, so are the wicked no more, but the righteous are an everlasting foundation. We've been looking at this text. I've been sharing from my Sunday pulpit and from behind this microphone for several weeks. And when we speak of the righteous being an everlasting foundation, uh, we're speaking on two levels in the very least. On the one level, the righteousness that is ours is not ours by way of anything inherent to ourselves or to our natures. The Bible is very clear, and the testimony of human existence just as clear, that there are none righteous, not one. All have forsaken and seek not the Lord, not in one's flesh, by the grace and mercy and by the operative power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we can be if you will, revivified, given new life, the image of God will be restored. It is a gift from God. Those who are righteous are those who are righteous in Christ. The righteousness of Christ has been given to us as a gift. And therefore, the Apostle Paul has said, and let me think now, it would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read that he who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so righteousness is a gift. We go from being fallen sinners to sanctified sinners, and we go from being unrighteous to being righteous, courtesy of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are called to grow in that righteousness. We are called to work that righteousness. We are called to make every effort to be righteous, to be perfect as God is perfect. This is the testament of Scripture. And to the extent that we are doing so, and to the extent that the Holy Spirit gives us such allowance, we shall be also righteousness for the world. Didn't Jesus say that you and I who follow Christ, we are the salt of the earth? And he said, we are the light of the world. Paul tells us that we are to shine forth as stars in the universe as we hold forth the word of life. We hold such word forth, not simply by way of speaking it, as I am doing right now. And for me, it is a consummate privilege to speak the word, to write the word, to share the word, but also, friends, to embody the word. You know, the, I, I serve with the Philadelphia Bible Society, and our primary uh, motivation 
and goal is to distribute freely God's word. We also have here in Philadelphia, their national headquarters are herewith based, the American Bible Society, and their goal and purpose is to allow you and to help you and to encourage you to engage with the scripture that we as a Philadelphia society distributed and put in your hands. Well, the local fellowship and every constituent member from the pastor to the back pew member, we are called to embody this word, and therefore we are called to embody the righteousness of Christ so that those at large in the world may know, and perhaps not, not a few, perhaps many shall hear and see and turn and be saved. And for those of us who are righteous, righteousness in Christ, or righteousness for the sake of a fallen world, we understand uh, the promise of God. It is rock solid. We need never doubt. We will have our moments because of our fallenness, but there's a reason why we are told in Scripture some 365 times, that's one time per day throughout the calendar year, do not be afraid. And we are also counseled never to doubt, never to doubt the Lord God Almighty. We may have questions, honest, sincere questions. We may have bouts of, of frustration, even with God. You can read the book of Psalms, and you will encounter David's frustrations, and even at times his anger uh, with God Almighty. God can handle this, provided that he knows our hearts, that such hearts as he knows for all of our frustration, for all of our dismay, for all of, of, of our lack of understanding, we still in the depths cry out to him and yearn for him. And when all is said and done, we put our trust in him. David has a classic psalm in which he cries out, Where are you, O God? That is the premise of the psalm. And yet that same psalm culminates with, And yet shall I trust you? Uh, sentiments and a theology to that effect. Praise God. We look in, in the righteousness that has been given to us. We look to the promises of God. They are all according to the Apostle Paul, yes, in Jesus Christ. Allow me, please, to offer this text. It's a magnificent one from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in the 18th verse. But as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who was proclaimed among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, I might add, by way of Brad Lacey and Brother Paige Tyler, was not yes and no, but it has always been yes in him. For every one of God's promises are yes in him. Therefore, also through him, the amen is spoken to the glory that we give to God. Who is we? We are the righteous. Those given the righteousness of Christ as a gift, those who have been given this gift to be the righteousness on behalf of our fallen world. And we look to Christ, we look to him who has never left us, shall never forsake us. The presence of God is the predicate upon which the righteous live their lives. 
I love from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God is always present. The Christian has the privilege of being able to discern the immovable presence, the faithful presence of the Almighty. And we can trust also in his plan for our lives, the righteous uh, part and parcel of a grand plan. According to Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has the best interests of his righteous ones at heart. It may not always in the immediate appear to be the case. We can be awash in our travails. We can even have stumbled and fallen into a mudsty of our own sin. But when all is said and done, God picks us up out of the mud and God shows us the full picture. We are safe and sound in his hands because we are safe and sound in his presence and therefore our lives are part and parcel unmistakably and categorically part and parcel of his plan. And God's word shall be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never, ever pass away. We are also uh, in our hands now, operative within our lives, is the power of God. According to the great apostle, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Because when we are weak, he is strong. You know, within my evangelical heritage, oftentimes evangelical churches will unwittingly, I think, be often boastful of their resources and the gifts at large amongst them. But we are not called to boast in ourselves. Paul says in Galatians, may I never boast, save in the cross of Christ by which I have died to the world, and the world has died to me. When he, we are weak, he is strong in us, when we are weak, he is strong through us. I might just add, as we are out of time, that his peace, his wisdom, and his love are ever before us, ever within us, ever longing and yearning to go forth through us and from us. The righteous, we shall never be forsaken. Praise God. Brad Lacey with the great message. We return in a moment. Brad Lacey returning with the great message on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It is always a consummate pleasure to be joined by Brother Paige Tyler, our 12-step ministry guru extraordinaire. I have had the pleasure and privilege of sharing friendship and fellowship and partnership in the gospel with Brother Paige for now, oh, close to 20, if not more years, 
Brother Page, welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Bradley. We're we're starting to knock on twenty-one years. Is it twenty-one? Yeah, yeah, my goodness. Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> Praise God. I pray for twenty-one more. And, and, and all of them have been a blessing. Oh, hallelujah! Amen. I'm grateful to hear it. It's a mutual thing. Page, uh, we're on to step two. We're on to step and if two. I may just read it. Go right ahead. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We draw upon Paul's letter to the Philippians, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Brother, you've been working with Step 2 for a long, long time. I have. Tell us about it. I should have, I should have uh, 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 accomplished it by now, right? <laughs> One would have hoped, Paige, yeah. but you know, this is another shot right here. Yeah, in the get another <laughs> you can't nail it down right now with this broadcast. I don't know that you ever will. Uh, but keep well, trying. I'm going to give it a shot right now. <laughs> okay. so the idea with step two is because, well, it's actually one of my favorite steps because it caught me off guard. I mean, I read step two for many years and just kind of went right over my head. You know, can you know, you know, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Then one day it, it got me. In step one, I admitted that I was powerless over my sin condition. And in step two, I, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could overcome my sin condition. That was easy. The hard part was restored to sanity. Because I hadn't accepted the fact that I was insane, that my behaviors were insane. I mean, from God's point of view, maybe not from man's point of view. Man's point of view, I was doing just fine. Man's point of view, I was growing intellectually. I was growing in a, in a career. I was growing economically. So from man's point of view, I was, I, was, I was totally sane. But if I look at it from God's point of view, I was totally insane because I was totally committing everything to those things that I just talked about. And they were leading me down this blind trail, this blind trail of never having satisfaction. But even after I came in the program, I hadn't come to believe that I was insane. I came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me from the stupid things that I was doing that had gotten me in trouble up to that point. You know, second wife, working on, you know, you know, losing my second marriage, uh, you know, watching my career start to deteriorate. Uh, those things I believed a power greater than me could restore. But my sanity, I thought for sure I was sane until I thoroughly investigated my behavior. Well, Paige, it's interesting, please. When you acknowledge that you are powerless, I think you can still maintain your, your dignity. But when you have to acknowledge that you're insane, your dignity just went out the window. It goes right out the yeah. window. You see, I can be powerless, so okay. I, I cannot move that giant stone over there. I will need some help. But I can still be very dignified. But to admit that I'm insane, all of a sudden my dignity falls completely away. There's absolutely no dignity yes. in it whatsoever. And therefore, but it also renders me the true powerlessness. 
because you notice I said I'm powerless to remove the stone, but I can engage an army to help me move that stone. Yes. That's not being totally powerless. But when the stone is immovable by me or any army that I can engage, which is insanity, then all of a sudden, that's when my dignity wanes. And I have truly have to admit true powerlessness, which is our sin condition. We can bring in all the armies we want in the world. How many, how many righteous ministers have we seen fall to their sin condition? Brother, there's a church not far from us here. I won't, of course, I won't mention the name. It's not my intent to be derisive, but to illustrate the point. There's a church not that far removed from us. Over the last 35 years during my tenure, they've had at least three pastors go down in flames in sexual scandal. It's almost as if there's a demon affixed to the to that church, and they assault the pastors with sexual temptation. Uh, I mean, it's it's just it's staggering, and it makes no sense but for a spiritual condition that parlays into insanity in, in a metaf- in a metaphysical world. Exactly, and that's and that's what we have to have to accept is that we're we're dealing with an insanity that is beyond that of the physical. It's not the insanity of the, of the madman coming out of the cave, you know, who, who, who scratched himself with stones. It's a worse, more insidious insanity than that, because we, he knew he was insane. We think we are sane. And we think what we're doing is perfectly okay. Well, as, as um, it was said of Hamlet, I think it was Polonius, his prospective father-in-law, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was said of Hamlet that there is method to his madness. We will utilize our madness for our own selfish, sinful purpose. Exactly. But it's still insanity. Still insanity. So step two is is asking us to do is is, is the same thing that, uh, that, that Hebrews 12, 1 is saying. And that is, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, as all those who have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Mm-hmm. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. And the race that is marked out for us in this 12-step program is the next 10 steps, you know, from here on. And there are, as you know, some daunting steps in front of us. But we throw But if we're going to truly get rid of the sin monster and put it in a, under the, 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 the control of the Lord Jesus Christ, we got to get ourselves out of the way. And we got to do some serious mining in order to yeah. get that done. You know, when you speak of we have to get ourselves uh, in a serious way out of the way, the interesting thing is that we have the best of intentions, even in a world, even awash in our own insanity. We can have, or at least we think we do, the best of intentions. But if you fail right. to reckon with what is wrong with you, the best of intentions is ultimately a moot point. How many times do I watch someone 
go through a traumatic experience, come out the other side, barely dust themselves off, and go right back in to the same type of traumatic environment right again, one right after the other, relationship after relationship, job after job, whatever, you know, one right after the other. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Exactly. It looks crazy but cute when a dog does it. It doesn't look cute when we do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Brad Lacey and Brother Paige Donner, we return for another round of The Great Message in just a moment. Thank you. Brad Lacey and Brother Paige Tyler of the 12-Step Ministry for Christians, returning for another round of The Great Message on Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You know, what I've learned of of insanity, brother, and you know, you'll see it play out even in, in literal insane asylums. All kinds of ingenious ideas play out amongst yeah. the insane, you know, truly. Uh, uh, you live within the asylum, you don't know the difference. And we're living within the asylum of a fallen, corrupt, even accursed world. What are some of the, if we were to extract some of the principles by which insanity performs, what would you say some of them are so that we can be aware of them to offset them? The first one is, is that we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting uh, a different result. And you can see that happening around us all the time. The, the the next thing is is that is, is that when we start having a conversation with ourselves and we agree with everything we say, we're yes. probably insane. <laughs> Sounds good to me, myself, and I. Right? <laughs> the unholy, unholy trinity. <laughs> you know, I mean, look at look at what people can talk themselves into. You know, look, look, look how easily people can confuse themselves and talk themselves into doing absolutely insane events. I mean, a person just doesn't wake up one day and decide to take a gun and go into a school and start shooting children. No. There is a, there is a, a procession of thoughts and deeds and actions that lead up to that. And that's the insanity. And we, we convince ourselves, but we also do it with our own things. We take the things of this world and place them before, before the things of God. And that is probably our biggest mistake. I see it everywhere, and I myself do it and have to catch myself. Yeah. Put, take the things of this world and make them so important that they suddenly are now overriding the things of God. Well, I would even add, and you will no doubt, I know you will concur, uh, this is one of the reasons why often the church uh, and, and Christians can project the wrong image of God's grace. We take even the th- things of God and we apply them for our own purpose. Yes. But you and I have both encountered men who will use the Word of God as a, as a, a weapon uh, uh, to, to smash people. Right. Uh, it, the, the truth will set you free. It will cut through like a sword, but for beneficent purpose. But we know people who will use that word to to hurt and to smash and to cudgel. Yeah. 
That's a fleshly appropriation of a holy thing. Yeah, I, I am. I, I don't. Don't you know that we will judge the world? So therefore, that gives me the right to judge my my brother. Right. I don't know where you, where you read that in the Bible. Well, you extract that's Bible extraction if I've ever seen it. Or another one is when uh, you know you don't you don't look like us, and it doesn't even have to be skin tonation or ethnicity. It could be no. the, the way you comport yourself. It could be that you're more intellectual rather than than uh, you know you just sit back and watch a football game, or vice versa. It can be right. economic. There can be any number of reasons, but we will apply the things of God. Many church plants are looking for one kind of person, and it's not you and me. And exactly. to my mind, that's utilizing the service of God for fleshly purpose. The last time I checked, what constitutes fellowship is anyone who is seeking after Jesus Christ. It is Christ who binds us together in fellowship, nothing else. All of the rest is dross or detail, but it's so if I meet a brother in Christ who doesn't look like me or act like me, he doesn't have my personality or background, but he loves Jesus, I'm going to spend eternity with that guy. I better get to know him and love him. Yep. We should all look at the Good Samaritan parable yes. and understand it from the context from which it came. Yes. Because there was as much enmity between the Samaritans and the Hebrews at that time, as there is between um, uh, the African-American community and the Ku Klux Klan today. There was just as much enmity, but what did Christ say? Who turned out to be, he he was the Jew, who turned out to be the good person in that parable? Yes. It was that it was person the from the other side. Yes. Who who treated his neighbor in a godly way. And if you're not if you're not measuring up to that in the way you're treating the people you encounter each and every day, and you know, charity, what happened to charity? You know, we today think charity is sending out a check every Christmas, you know, to our favorite uh, charity, and that's what that, and we're therefore fulfilling our biblical uh, right to charity. No, charity is being kind to that person on the street corner nearest you. Yes, yes. Believe it or not, who could be an angel? When I lived in Boston, I had an encounter at the Fennel Hall Marketplace. A, a drunken, uh, poor soul accosted me for money. And I said, look, I won't give you money, but I'll take you inside. At the time, there was a place called Bailey's Sandwich and Ice Cream Shop. It was renowned. He didn't want the sandwich. He wanted the money, obviously, for the wrong reasons. But another man approached me from behind. He says, I'll have that cup of coffee and sandwich. He had a thick Irish brogue. Turns out this guy was six months off the boat from Ireland. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. And you know what? He felt that he was committed to going to living with the homeless in order to adequately love them. And he spoke a very, very articulate understanding of what God was doing with him. He says, the best way I can minister to those to whom I've been called is to live with them. And that's what he was doing. He became one of them. That's not that's a special call. Not everyone. That was a special that. call. Yeah. You know, but interestingly, I began to think I was with an angel. I really did. I was beginning to believe, as you spoke of them, I was with an angel until 
just as I'm taking leave of him, he says, Bradley, can you do me a favor? And I said, well, Sean, of course. What is it? Can you buy me a pack of cigarettes? Last time I checked, <laughs> angels don't smoke, you know. But there was a man, other people, the, the insane, the ones catering to their flesh, they would think he was crazy. And yet he spoke and shone with, with a light and an articulateness that was clearly part and parcel of the righteousness of God. He had reckoned with not only his powerlessness, but with his insanity and was endeavoring with his life to help the insane and the powerless. As do you. Yep, and that's what, and that's what we're, we, as we go down this trail, we understand we're never going to overcome our insanity or our powerlessness. All we're doing is seeking the righteousness of the Lord God Almighty. We're going to continually seek after the righteousness of the Lord God Almighty, because that's what the Bible is calling us to do, is to seek his righteousness. And then he will impart unto us that which we do not have, which we will never get. May I say it like a good Bostonian that I am? Yeah. It's the smartest thing you could possibly do. The smartest <laughs> is to see. <laughs> it shows that our powers of intellection, all good humor aside, our powers of intellection will ultimately fail us. They can be applied to insidious, insane purpose. But in yep. humility of heart, heart, in humility of heart, to seek after the Almighty is the smartest, sanest, wisest thing that we could do. From your testimony, which I know you share far and wide, it is what led you back into the light of sane thinking and sane living. Exactly. Exactly. And put me on a course of doing, um, of making what is important to God most important to me above all other things, which was not where I was when I started down. I, had, I hadn't gone to, the, to, to living on the streets. You know, when I came into the 12-step program, I had everything that everybody thought they, they should want, except for I didn't have me. I had lost me somewhere along the line. And I needed to refine me. And as you look back, brother, we've got about a minute before this segment ends. As you look back, as I look back upon my life, uh, my my uh, issues of insanity found expression through very uh, complicated and insane psychological uh, dysfunction. And as I look back, though, as I was put on that course of which you speak, I wouldn't trade that course for the world. It played out over time. By my estimate, it didn't come to even a tentative kind of fruition until five years ago. And I say tentative. You establish a plateau or a watershed. Well, you got another round ahead of you. But it took me, it took me, oh my goodness, well over 50 years for that course to unfold to some degree of fruition. As painful as it could be at times, I wouldn't trade it for the world because of the end result, you know. But we have to take a break. You can respond to that on the other end. Brad Lacey and Brother Paige Tyler, we return for a final round of the great message in just a moment. Brad Lacey and Brother Paige Tyler of the 12-Step Ministry for Christians, returning for one final round of the great message on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. 
Brother Page, the scriptural text that is in complement to step two, step two being came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The text that is in concert with this from Philippians 2 verse 13 of the New Testament, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God has been willing and acting according to his good purpose in your life, for he set you on your own course uh, at least 34 years ago or, or 35. To the extent that you are comfortable, would you share something of that course? Make it real. Yes, of course. Yeah, God, God, God grabbed me. I mean, I was, I was, I probably had uh, intellectually all the things that I was supposed to, a man was supposed to have, but my second marriage was falling apart, and um, and I was and and I was allowing my life to just crumble around me. I was, I, I, I was, I, 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 I was just, an, it was, it was a very painful situation for me at that time, and I. Um, I I I I started uh, drinking incessantly in order to deal with the pain, and uh, with the marriage falling apart, I started going out looking for 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 ladies of the night because the marriage had had grown cold. So I was going to take that into my own hands as well, and that got me involved in things that were even worse than drinking. And so that's how God brought me to my knees, like in 18 months. He took me down to my very knees where I was, uh, you know, before him saying, I can't live like this anymore. And, uh, you know, I got into a, uh, a, a, a recovery program, a detox and then a rehab. And, um, in that rehab, I, 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 I finally gone past the, the, the week or so that I was used to, to getting through without having any substance in me because I would spend all my money, only have enough money to get back to work. So I got my next paycheck and uh, my liver enzymes went off the scale. My fever shot up to 105 degrees and uh, I was laying there in a gurney. I remember the story well, you've shared it, yes. And uh, I thought I was dying and I was a sickly kid uh, all my life, I, you know, from the time I was born, I was very sickly, and um, always believed that God had saved my life when I was a, when I was a young child. I don't know, you know, I don't know why I believe that, but I always believed that. Um, and laying there on that gurney, I, in my heart, I shook my fist at God and said, "Why did you save my life to come to this, to die here, you know, a drunk in a in a in a, in a uh, in a uh, detox uh, rehab, and to my chagrin, which was what I was not suspecting, I got an an answer. It wasn't audible. It was inside my heart, but it was loud, as like a loud voice, like a trumpet, and it said, "I have not saved you for what you have become." And my whole life flashed before my eyes, and I saw where it was going. The whole life I had had before up until then. And it then said, I have saved you for what you could be. And a whole different life flashed before my eyes. And, as, and I saw where I could go. I turned toward that. 
And I started running in that direction in my mind and my heart. I was running in that direction, even though there was this giant wall in front of me. I didn't realize at that time that that giant wall was the, was the steps and the, and the obstacle that they, that they presented. But I put my head down and said, I'm going through that wall. And as I approached that wall, a crack opened in that wall, just wide enough for me to go through. And I ran through that wall, through that crack. I ran through that crack into the glory of God and away from the crack that was in the streets that I had been doing and into the, and into the hands of God. Now, you mentioned before we got here, that's a long walk from there yeah. to where I am now. Because just running through that crack did, did, not, did, did not bring me, it, it, I was saved, but did not have salvation. Yes, I understand. And I now needed to achieve salvation. I needed to learn how to live one, one day at a time in the grace of God. And that's the long walk that we're preparing to go through as we go through these 12 steps. And to offer encouragement to anyone listening who is, is looking ahead to this long walk, God's grace, there's a theological term, it's called provenient grace. God's grace has been operative all along. Rather, he, 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 I'm not suggesting he turns you into an alcoholic, but he would use the circumstances of your life to bring you to that place at which you would begin that walk. His grace was operative before the walk. His grace is operative throughout the entire course of the walk in order graciously to bring you to that place of glory to which he's calling us. You know, the Lord spoke to me, and I cried out to him when my wife was dying. And I, I just cried out from, the, from my gut. My Lord, how long will this play out? Peggy is so sick. And that same voice that spoke to you spoke to me. And the word said, my glory, and people don't talk like this, which is why I share it uh, unabashedly. My glory has come upon my little church so that I may receive my daughter home. And you were the last person to see Peggy alive. You yeah. prayed uh, over her with me. And Peggy had walked a long course, and it came to fruition, to final fruition on that day, about an hour after you had to leave. But, that, but the point being, that course, however painful, is worth taking. It's well worth the walk. It's yeah. well worth every minute, minute of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yes, as we go, well, what we're doing is we're purifying ourselves the way gold is purified by the jeweler. We are having the impurities skimmed off of our life until we become a reflection of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying I'm even there yet, but I'm a whole lot greater reflection of Jesus Christ today than I was 30 will be 37 years next month. That was 30, 36 years, 11 months ago. I have a whole lot better reflection of Jesus Christ. And the things of Christ are now important to me. When I came through the door, I was carrying a laptop and I wanted to, didn't want the people at the rehab to take the laptop from me. And because that represented 
my 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 self importance. I wanted to have my laptop while I was in the drug rehab. <laughs> it was authenticated. <laughs> it was authenticating your insanity, yeah, don't, right. you know? don't you know? Don't you know? I was the most intelligent person and most important person in that drug rehab. <laughs> now, if you wore the robe that you're wearing right now, that would really take you over the top. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was I was nearly institutionalized myself when I was young, but the grace of God, it didn't play out. And God visited me in the privacy of my bedroom. That was 48 and a half years ago. And you know what? He never left. Praise God. Amen. Rage, we're out of time. We'll bring you back for step three next month. This is Brad Lacey, Brother Paige Tyler. We bid you God's grace and blessing in every way. Thank you. <laughs>